The name Pharisee has almost become synonymous with hypocrite, someone who is religiously strict and overbearing toward other people, somebody who's really good at making the rules and somebody that nobody religiously wants to be like. We even teach the kids the little VBS song, I don't want to be a what? A Pharisee. I thought about Neil and Kathy and I wondered, did they sing that one tonight on the way to church, thinking about (laughs) songs in accordance with the lesson tonight? But the reality is it hadn't always been that way. You read the whole Old Testament and there's no mention of a group of people named the Pharisees. But in between the Old and the New Testament, this group of religious and Jewish men that wanted to do the right thing, they come on the scene. Josephus in his antiquity says that there were about 6,000 Pharisees at the time of his writing. We just need to appreciate they have not always been the bad guys that we've come to know them as. They were a group of individuals that were interested in religious restoration and of calling people back to the word of God. They took their Old Testament, their Bible, and their mindset was in this intertestamental time, we're going to be different. We're not going to be like everybody else. We're going to be the separate ones, or as we come to call them, the Pharisees. They were in a different class, a different group. They were serious about holiness, purity, Bible study, Bible knowledge, respected by everybody in their society, even their enemies. They had a zeal and a thirst for righteousness as they were saying to the surrounding Jews in their culture, come back to God and do things the way that God would have you to. But it's evident to anybody who's ever read the Gospels, by the time you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus has no greater opposition in his earthly ministry. The Pharisees over and over again antagonize him and poke at him and pick at him. And we realize that they transfer from what they were originally They transferred to become something totally different. You read their interactions with Jesus and just about every one of them is negative. They had developed this religious system that they were the gatekeepers of righteousness. Nobody could be right with God unless they first signed off on it. And even if they did, they'd hold you in suspicion. Jesus ate with the wrong people. Matthew 9, 10 through 13. He and his disciples didn't fast when they fast. Mark 2, 18 through 24. He and his disciples didn't do like they thought he should concerning the Sabbath because they went by and picked the grains in the cornfields as they walked by. They were corrupt. They were called individuals that devoured widows houses. Mark 12 and verse 40. And they were individuals who loved to be rich. They had hand washing restrictions stricter than the CDC. And of course, Jesus and his disciples didn't do that right either. Matthew 15, one through two. And so every time Jesus encounters them, he's got to straighten them out on something as they try to fix him as they think he's broken. But when you get to Matthew 23 and if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. It is the strongest and most comprehensive denunciation that Jesus gives about the Pharisees. And here's where we're shocked. Most of us in our conception of who the Pharisees is, Jesus dismantles that. If you actually read the sermon where he rebukes them, just notice in the first 12 verses or so, Jesus starts out by saying, respect the Pharisees, Matthew 23, 1 and 2, because they sit in Moses's seat. That is the position of authority. Whatever they tell you, observe it and do it. The problem wasn't what they're teaching. He says it's what they say. They say things and they don't follow through. They would bind heavy burdens and add restrictions and traditions onto God's word that they couldn't keep or the other individuals that they taught. They love to be called rabbi, teacher, teacher, and to receive all of this praise. Jesus says they exalt themselves instead of waiting for God to do it. Matthew 23 and verse 12. And that was his problem. And you and I know who the good guy is in Matthew 23 and who the bad guys are. And we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And in our hearts, we cheer on Jesus. Rightfully so. Get them, Jesus. Get them, Lord. Prove them wrong. 
but we need to appreciate what they ended up as is not what they started as. What they became was what they never intended to be. And as individuals who have picked up the New Testament and said, let's restore it. Let's get back to the Bible and be Bible people. I just think when we read about the Pharisees, it's a scary endeavor to say people that are religiously zealous, that really want to do the right thing, can end up where those guys ended up. And Jesus says you can. Beginning in verse 13 of Matthew 23, Jesus pronounces seven woes or seven curses on the Pharisees that all sort of start this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And we're just going to march through those tonight. We'll merge one of them together with another one. But tonight we're going to look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees and search our own hearts and make sure that if Jesus was here preaching the sermon tonight, he wouldn't look out on us and say, you've become just like them. We'll look at things tonight and all of the points will have this tagline. You might be a Pharisee if and we'll examine our own hearts. This really isn't about you examining other people. It's not about me examining you. I'm not even indicting us and in saying that we are Pharisees, but it simply is a spiritual checkup to say, let's never become like them. Let's begin. Number one, you might be a Pharisee if you make it hard for other people to follow Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 13, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You neither enter into the kingdom yourselves, and then you make sure that you shut the gates for other people who would enter in. You might be a Pharisee if you make it harder for other people to follow Jesus. That's not to say that following Jesus is supposed to be an easy endeavor altogether. After all, Jesus said the way is difficult. Matthew 7 and verse 14. He said, count the cost. Luke 14 and verse 28 and take up your cross and follow me. Mark 8 and verse 34. But the problem with the Pharisees was they didn't want to follow Jesus and they wanted to make sure that everybody else stayed as far away from him as they wanted him to as well. And so Jesus would say, every plant that my heavenly father hasn't planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both fall into the ditch. Matthew 15, 13 through 14. That's who the Pharisees were. They weren't interested in following Jesus. But if they saw you on the verge of doing so, they pull out all the stops to make sure you never, ever did. They'd undermine your intelligence. The guards came back and said, we've never heard a teacher speak like him. They said, are you also deceived? John 7 and verse 47. They try to entangle him in his talk. Matthew 22 and verse 15 says they conspired together to try to get him to stumble in his words. They would play the numbers game. John 7 and verse 48. Have any of the Pharisees or the authorities gone out after him? Whatever, even saying that he was performing miracles by the spirit of demons. Matthew 9 and verse 34. They were against Jesus, but it wasn't enough for them to be against him. They wanted other people to be against him as well. Notice in the text, Jesus calls them hypocrites. It's a word in the Bible in our New Testament, which means a play actor on a stage. They weren't sincere. They were simply going through the motions for them. The most important thing in the world was not getting the glory that comes from God, but instead the glory that comes from man. John five and verse 44, Jesus says, don't ever become like them. But you and I might be Pharisees if we make it harder for other people to follow Jesus. I know this has probably happened to you before Friday night or maybe a Sunday afternoon would be a better example. You're going into a restaurant on your way of entering in. Somebody's holding the door and they're going out. They haven't eaten at the restaurant and they say something like this to you. We've been waiting for 20 minutes and we hadn't been seated. You probably don't want to go in there either. You see, they're not going in and they want to make sure, hey, don't you waste your time either. They're not entering in and you probably shouldn't do it either. You might be a Pharisee if you stand at the kingdom of God's door and you want to let everybody know how difficult it will be for them to follow Jesus. So difficult, in fact, that they'll never be able to attain. They'll never be able to do all of the things that you've added on to the commands of God. 
Acts 15 and verse 1, there were certain Jews that entered into the church and they said things like, unless you be circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Believing, repenting, and being baptized isn't enough. There's more. You might be a Pharisee. If nobody has ever dressed just right for you, they never carry the right version. They never sing the songs just right. Their heads aren't tilted in the right direction in prayer. They're never as outraged as they should be. And they never add all of the caveats onto everything they say well enough to suit you into believing that they're actually following Jesus Christ. You just might be a Pharisee if you make it difficult for other people to follow Jesus. Jesus says it's hard, but not impossible. And it's not our job. It's not our responsibility to make it harder for people to follow him. And so first John five and verse three, John says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, but his commandments are not burdensome. Question. If somebody took on the Christianity that you advertise with your daily life, would their lives become heavily burdened or less burdened than they currently are? We do serve the one who said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, and we ought to keep it as light as Jesus has. Everything Jesus commands, we shouldn't fudge on it or add to it, but we shouldn't make it more difficult for people to follow him. And sometimes we do. The Pharisees were great at making laws where God hadn't made laws. And we just might be Pharisees if we make it harder for other people to follow Jesus. You can imagine Jews in the first century saying, OK, I want to do what God says. I want to follow the law. And after hearing all the other things the Pharisees added on, they just sort of walk away and throw up their hands and say, you know, I thought I wanted to. But nobody can ever attain to that. And Jesus would rebuke them and say, you don't get to make rules for God. You might be a Pharisee if you make it hard for other people who sincerely want to follow him to not do so. What the Pharisees were doing is the equivalent of somebody leaving a one star review on Amazon for a product that they've never bought before. They've never tried it before and they want to make sure you never do as well. They just don't like the way it looks or the way it sounds. And they not only refuse to take it in themselves, but they want to make sure that you don't as well. If somebody doesn't want anything to do with Christianity, that's fine. But Jesus says, never stand in the way of other people who want to come unto me. Here's number two. You might be a Pharisee if you corrupt those you influence. Notice the text. This is the second woe that Jesus pronounces in verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. That's a convert. And after you've made him a proselyte, you make him twice as much the child of the devil or of hell as you yourselves. You and I might be Pharisees if we corrupt the people that we influence. Now, the Pharisees would travel land and sea. The Old Testament nowhere says go into all the world and make everybody a practicing Jew. That's not what they're doing. But they are going to different places and trying to convert people to their method of keeping the law and being faithful. And notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. He doesn't rebuke them for their zeal and trying to turn people to what they believe is the accurate interpretation of the law. But he does rebuke them for making people worse off after having encountered them. In fact, he says you're twice as much the child of hell as you were after if you encounter these Pharisees. You remember Jesus told them you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, you will do. John 8 and verse 44, he says, after people encounter your teaching, they're worse off than they ever were. You know, this is the opposite of what's supposed to happen after people study the Bible and spend time with the word of God. The design is that they're supposed to be drawn closer to God and not further away. And we need to examine ourselves because every single one of us wields an influence. We do. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. And that doesn't have to be a negative thing. We do wield an influence. That means people either find it harder 
to curse, gossip, and slander in your presence. Or it's easier for them to do so because your spirit and the way you carry yourself just rather invites it. Or at least it doesn't cause them to turn the other way. But every one of us wields an influence. And we might be like the Pharisees if people behave less like Christ around us than they would otherwise. Jesus says, after you get done talking to somebody, they're twice as much the child of hell as they ever would have been had you never said anything to them. You know, this shocked people because Jesus was saying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five and verse 20. Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Everybody wanted to be enrolled in their class, in their school. And Jesus is saying, don't do it. It'll ruin you. If you know a person. That was sensitive to the New Testament. They didn't want to violate the will of God. They wanted to live a holy, righteous life and to please God. But you influenced them. Hey, don't take it so seriously. Hey, you sin and some, you curse and you might have an anger problem and you might be a person that has a bad attitude. But hey, don't worry about it. And you sort of relax the commandments of God. You just might be a Pharisee. If somebody was previously gentle and kind and loving and patient, but after being in our midst, they become more hardened more cynical, more negative. When they think about other people's spirituality, all they can think of is all of the things that everybody else is getting wrong. If they're not more loving and kind and joyful and peaceful and poised, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if we exude this sort of negative pessimism, we become like the Pharisees that Jesus warned us about. Right now, it costs $57,000 a year to send your child to Harvard. That'll cover one year of tuition. Imagine one of the best and brightest schools as far as our world's concerned in the secular realm. You send your child to Harvard and they come back home dumber than they were when they left. Before they left your home, they knew there were two genders. They come back now and they say, well, there are countless. I don't know how many. Before they left your home, they were doing college level math. And now they can't do basic elementary addition and subtraction. Before they left, they were the best and brightest. You sent them there for their light to be enhanced. They come home worse than they would have been otherwise, Jesus says. That's exactly what happens with the Pharisees. If they ever get a hold of a person, he becomes a devil 2.0. He's worse off because they're poison. They look religious. They look spiritual. And it looks like they're going to drive you into the love of God, but they'll ruin you. Luke 6:39, Jesus says these individuals will lead you right down into a ditch. Stay far away from them. When they encounter a person, they add all these laws and regulations. And finally, what that person is practicing is absolutely nothing like the religion that God established through Moses in the Old Testament law. And for us, the New Testament covenant of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times this happened to me before I finally figured it out. But has this ever happened? You go to a hotel, you get up to the door, you've used the key before and now the key won't work. It just won't work for you. And you've got to go back and get another key. And maybe a day or two later, the same thing happens. You know how long it took me before I finally figured out if you put the hotel key next to your cell phone, it demagnetizes the key and it just won't work. It'll frustrate you on end. And Jesus is saying the Pharisees are that which demagnetizes the word of God once it gets into the heart of somebody. If they come into contact with it, if they come into contact with you as you're trying to pursue the love and word of God, they'll ruin you spiritually. And we might be Pharisees if we do this to other people. You think about the people in your life that you have immediate influence over. And Neil preached about some of this this morning. But just think about your spouse. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, we're heirs together of the grace of life. And just think about this. Do you make it easier or harder for your spouse to follow and serve Jesus Christ? Think about your children. Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do they struggle to harmonize what they see on Sunday and Wednesday with what they see in your daily life and in your home? If that's true about us, we might be like the Pharisees. 
If the people that we work with and in our families are shocked when we invite them to worship or to a gospel meeting or a special event because they had no idea that we took our religion that seriously, then maybe we've become like the Pharisees Jesus warned us. If we corrupt people with our influence, if people turn away from Jesus Christ because of us, we're just like these individuals that Jesus curses. Here's number three. You might be a Pharisee if you have misplaced priorities. Jesus goes through a long exposition in verse 16 down through 22, and he basically says they got things backwards. They think that the gold in the temple is more important than the temple itself or the gift on the altar is more important than the altar that actually sanctifies the gift. Jesus says you've got things flipped. Your priorities are messed up. You're not doing the way things the way God would have you to do them. They would do these sorts of things and have these little caveats basically as a sort of spiritual fingers behind your back. Well, you can't really hold me to that oath because I didn't swear by the gold that's in the temple. I just said I really, really promised based on the temple itself. Or you can't really make me keep my word. I didn't swear about the gift on the altar. I just promised to do it based on the altar itself. And Jesus says there's no need for that. Matthew 5, 33 through 37, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, but don't play these little games. And here is where Jesus changes the way we really ought to think about the Pharisees. A lot of people think the problem with the Pharisees was they took the Bible too seriously. And Jesus says, absolutely not. Their problem was they didn't take the Bible seriously enough. They were actually the individuals that were looking for loopholes around the word of God. And they would try to find ways to say, well, God didn't say I couldn't do this. And so maybe I do have an avenue or a lane where I can disobey God and still be justified. Do you find yourself often asking this question? You know, I really want to do this action. Is it a sin to do X or Y? Am I really going to go to hell if I do X or Y? If that's our mindset, we're just like the Pharisees. If the line of righteousness was here, the Pharisees would want to snug up as close to it as they could. They had misplaced priorities. Their priority was not on glorifying God. It was gratifying self through trying through whatever means they could to find a backdoor into doing what they wanted in their heart. Their will never his. And Jesus says, don't become like them. Take an example. In Exodus 20 and verse 12, the Old Testament says, honor your father and who? Honor your mother. But there was more. The law said if you disobeyed father and mother, Exodus 21, 17, the penalty for that was death. Jewish people had a responsibility financially to take care of their parents. But the Pharisees said, not us. Mark 7, 9 through 13, they would say something like this. Well, I was going to give this piece of money or this piece of property to my family, but it's been put in the category of Corbin. And now I won't be supporting or helping out my family. I won't be able to help my parents. And Jesus says, listen, the commands of God never conflict each other. You never have to choose between obeying this command of God or that command of God. They've got misplaced priorities because in the end, their heart is not set on doing what God would have them to do. And we need to examine ourselves and say, what's my chief aim in life? If my chief aim in life is doing just enough so that God will welcome me in. And if everything else that isn't explicitly stated in scripture or condemned, well, I just want to get by. Is it a sin to do this? Well, if it's not, I'm going to engage in it. Never asking, does this action help me to truly live to the glory of God to the best of my ability? We might be Pharisees if our priorities are misplaced. Here's number four. You might be a Pharisee if you major in the minors. Jesus tells them in Matthew 23, 23 through 24, he says, you wash the outside of the cup and the plate and you appear to be clean, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones and self-indulgence. You're guilty of that. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you appear to be clean, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. He says, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. 
They were concerned with purity, and that was a good thing, but they majored in the wrong things. He says they tied mint and cumin and anise, these small spices, but they neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. They majored in minor things. They focused on the wrong things, and they missed what God would have them to do. You know, the Old Testament law says that you should tithe. That's Leviticus 27 and verse 30. And they did. They took it seriously, even down to these little spices in Matthew 23 and verse 23. He says they tied anise and mint and cumin. There was these small spices in their garden. Imagine this meticulous Pharisee out in his garden just plucking tin off and saying, well, this one belongs to God and being serious and sincere. And Jesus says, you know what? You shouldn't leave that undone. That's important. But you've left off these other things. You've forgotten the things that really matter to God the most. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. According to Leviticus 11, a Jewish person couldn't eat a camel or a gnat. Which one do you think it would have been easier to make sure that you don't eat? I mean, you can see the camel coming. Jesus says you would strain out a gnat to make sure that doesn't get through. And in comes this camel because you know what? You've got misplaced priorities. And we might be like the Pharisees if our priorities are upside down spiritually. This is important because Jesus uses a word here, which means there are some words and some things in the Bible that are more weightier and important than others. This doesn't mean that we get to pick and choose which parts of the law of God we obey, but it does mean this. Beware of being somebody who's interested, spiritually speaking, in all of the silverware, tablecloths, and all of the various condiments spiritually and missing the meat of the meal, because that was the Pharisees. They missed the major thing. And what was the major thing? Notice the text in verse 23. Mercy, justice, and faith. In a nutshell, Jesus sums up the two great commands. To love, to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Micah 6 and verse 8, Micah had a similar question. What does God want from me? And he says, he's shown you, O man, what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We might be Pharisees. We might have become like them if we major in the minor things. If we're so concerned with all of the laws that the major things, they actually hang on these. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about the details. You know, sometimes people hear something like this and they say, you know me, I'm never going to become a Pharisee. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to get into memorizing the Bible and into facts and all of that. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to love people. That's what that's what I'm going to spend my time doing. I'm not going to. That's what happens. That's how Pharisees are made. They get concerned with all of the details and making sure they get the Bible right. But Jen Wilkin hits the nail on the head when she says, beware of trying to love God without knowing his word. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. No, study the Bible for all of its worth. We need an encounter with the text. But what really needs to happen as we encounter the text is the big issues to God need to become the big issues to us. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. Moses repeats the Shema and he says, God wants you to walk in his ways, to love him, to keep his statutes and commandments and to love him with all of the heart, soul, mind and strength. Because if you do those first, you'll do the others. But it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. And so we need to be people that major in the right things and don't miss this. I don't know if you knew this, but in the early 2000s, Starbucks almost went out of business. I mean, their stores were still open, but they were struggling financially. Howard Schultz, their uh, CEO or one of their financial advisors at the time, said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to close our stores. February 2028, they shut down all 7,100 stores for about three and a half hours. It cost them about $6 million. Schultz said it's the best thing we ever did. We had to retrain our baristas so that they learned how to make coffee the best way. We, got, we lost our way. We got out of our way. We lost what we were really good at. He said, we are not a coffee company that serves people. We're a people company that serves coffee. And he says, we've been doing it wrong. They reordered new espresso machines and they said, we're going to start over. 
They said every coffee that sits around for longer than 30 minutes, it has to go. And at least temporarily, they said the aroma from the bread and the sandwiches is overwhelming the smell of the coffee. It's got to go. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And in Christianity, we need to be saying to ourselves, what's the main thing? Do I major in the minors? Am I caught up in the details at the expense of that which really matters the most to God? Do I love my neighbor? Do I love God with heart, soul, mind and strength? Or am I caught up in the peripheral details? Because if I am, I become like the Pharisees. It's the person that says to themselves, you know, I'm all about modesty so long as I don't make anybody stumble. And as important as that is, the heart of modesty so far as the New Testament's concerned is this. God is the Lord of my life. And the most important thing about me is my faith and not my fashion. If you get that heart right, you always take care of the other. The person that majors in the minors is the person that sits around and says, you know what? Let's argue about how we ought to support orphans, but never really get around to supporting them. Let's never really get around to doing anything. We'll just talk about it a lot. And they major in all of the finer points and all of the details. It's the person that gets infuriated if worship starts one minute late because people are walking around greeting everybody. But they're as antsy as a four year old. If the closing prayer goes 15 seconds too long, they're worried about the wrong things. And the Pharisees, they were meticulous. And Jesus says, hey, you don't have to choose. The good news is you can tithe just like you're doing, but don't ever do it at the expense of those things that all of the commands to tithe actually hang on. There are some things that are more weightier and more important, and we just need to make sure that we keep our priorities spiritually in order. They were backwards, and they emphasized the wrong things. See, a Pharisee Majors in the minors and minors in the things that are really major to God. The things that God has said a lot about in his word don't really matter to them. They find some hobby, some interest, some little pet project, and that becomes their spiritual compass all the days of their life. And in the end, they're as dead as the spiritually dead that they despise. Here's number five. We got ahead of ourselves a moment ago with our verses, but here it is. They rather look good than do good. Number five. Jesus says they're like whitewashed tombs. They appear to be clean outwardly, but inwardly they're full of dead men's bones. And this is what Pharisees are really all about. To them, it's all about appearances. If you're still in Matthew 23, go up to verse 3, and maybe you draw a line from verse 3 down to these verses in 25 through 28. Because in verse 3, notice what Jesus says. He says, everything they do, they do it for what purpose? To be seen by men. Their religion was a show. It was a sham. It was insincere. It's what Paul meant in First Timothy four and verse two when he says through the insincere, the insincerity of liars and hypocrisy, everything the Pharisees did, they did it for show. Jesus uses some strong terminology about them cleaning the outside of the cup, but keeping that which is within filthy and dirty. He says they're like whitewashed tombs. A Jewish person couldn't touch a tomb. According to Numbers 19 and verse 16. And so they would just whitewash the tombs. But Jesus says inwardly, you're still dead. In Luke 11 and verse 44, he says, you guys are like unmarked graves, which people don't realize they have stepped on as they pass over. You're the worst because you're not genuine. Pretend religion is the worst kind of religion to practice, but it's the easiest kind because in the end, you don't have to practice anything. You just have to look like you are. They would bind these heavy burdens on people that nobody could carry, not even themselves. Matthew 23 and verse four. And they just had to look spiritual. But in their hearts, they really weren't. You probably know this word, virtue signaling. Have you heard that word before? Virtue signaling is this idea where you, through words and actions, try to present yourself as pious and a morally good person with a strong conscience by the things you do. In the end, people that virtue signal, they're really people that are more concerned with how other people see them than who they truly are within. 
It's the person that says, I want to be on the right side of history and I want people to see me doing the right things. And so a watchword for people that virtue signal, if you use this word, I'm not saying you're a virtue signaler, but you might be. People that are virtue signalers always use this word. I want to bring awareness to and then insert your calls. I want to bring awareness to this. And this is the equivalent of saying this. I want to bring awareness toward bullying. And you record a person being beat up by a bully rather than actually stopping the bully from beating them up. Because after all, virtue signalers don't have to do anything. They just have to sort of look the part. It's the person that changes their profile picture to support a cause that they're really not engaged in. But hey, everybody's doing it. I mean, you should. It's the person that says I'm sending thoughts and prayers when they haven't thought or prayed about anything. It's just the right thing to do. And if we're honest, every one of us has been guilty of it. It's an old concept with a new term. It's what Jesus denounced in Matthew chapter six. Don't you remember Matthew six, one through four? Jesus says, when you give, nobody has to know but you and God. And when you pray, Matthew six, five through 13, you can go in your closet and the one that sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you fast, don't disfigure your faces. Matthew six, 16 through 18, anoint your face, wash it, look full and full of vigor. God sees it and he'll reward you. Our lives and the good deeds we do don't have to always be recorded on earth because we know they're being recorded in heaven. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil as well as the good. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give to every man according to their deeds. Second Chronicles 16 and verse nine. Beware of virtue signaling. Jesus was not saying in those passages, never do your religion in public. But Jesus was saying never do anything religiously for the public. You don't have anything to prove to anybody. God already knows. And we might be just like the Pharisees if we'd rather look good than do good. If we'd rather look the part and look spiritually deep, but we're really not. It's the equivalent of somebody pouring on pounds of cologne and deodorant rather than taking a bath, because in the end for that person, it's really not about being clean. It's just about smelling good when I encounter other people. You know what I mean? Some of you don't. Good. (laughs) We can become like that. And Jesus warns us against it. He says, beware of highlighting in your Bible and underlining it when you have no desire or whatever to obey it. Beware of announcing all of the quiet time you spend with the Lord when it's really not shaping you or changing you in any real and significant way. You see, Pharisees are the kind of people that just want to be thought of as being spiritual. But in the end, they're against the slow and grinding work of character formation that will make a person like Jesus Christ in the long haul, a little bit at a time every day until the mind of Christ becomes their mind. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Hypocrisy was the sin that Jesus decried the most. He hated it. Luke 12 and verse one, he would say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes, which is hypocrisy. The Pharisees thought the worst thing that a person could do would be take in something bad. But Jesus would say, no, that's not right at all. The quote from Lauren Hill is still right. How are you going to win if you ain't right within? You can't win that way. You won't win. Jesus says from out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders blasphemies, adultery, and all the things that corrupt people. The only way to truly be changed, Jesus says, is to do your work from the inside out. And a Pharisee is just worried about pretending. Now, here's the last one. We might be Pharisees if our heart is self-deceived. The Pharisees read their Old Testament. They read about people that killed the prophets, and they said, that'll never be us. I mean, that couldn't be us. We won't be like those people. He says, you're the ones that built the tomb for the prophets. In verse 33, he says, oh, you children of the devil, how will you escape the condemnation of hell? They thought we'd be better than those other people, and their hearts were really self-deceived. They really didn't know 
who they were on the inside. They had been corrupted. Jesus told the parable of the vineyard owner who sent out all of these servants. You remember the last one in Matthew 21? He says, last of all, I'll send my son. They'll reverence him. They said, no, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And then inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him. And Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees. And he says, what will the owner of the vineyard do to those servants? They knew the right answer. He'll make a wretched end of those folks. Jesus says, that's about you. And they couldn't see it. In every house, there are two types of movie watchers. There's one movie watcher that just watches the movie. The second movie watcher is somebody who's really not watching the movie. They just analyze everything and they want to point out the bad guy before the movie reveals he's the bad guy. I mean, they want to ruin the movie for everybody. In case you're wondering, I'm the second kind of movie watcher. Brittany loves it. They see this person. He looks like a good guy. He looks like a good person. And they're saying, you know, he's the crook. You know, he's the bad guy. The Pharisees are watching the movie and they can't see it. I'm telling you, if you knew the background of the Pharisees and you read the Gospels, they look like the good guy. They look like the people that would never do the things they're about to do to orchestrate a righteous man's murder. And Jesus says, you are the prophet haters that you've read about. You are the bad guy. I know you don't believe it, but you are. They would stand and pray. Luke 18, 9 through 14. God, I thank you. I'm like other men. And they weren't. They were worse. They said, we're not adulterers, extortioners. We fast twice in the week. We give tithes of all that we possess. But their heart was self-deceived. They had no clue of who they really were. I heard a man one time giving a speech to preachers that were about to graduate from preaching school. And he said, I'm scared for you guys. He said, I'm warning you because you guys are preachers. He says, you've only got two choices. You have to either become really close to God or you have to pretend like you are, because most people are just going to assume that you're close to God. He says, you're going to have to make up your mind. He said, it's a dangerous enterprise you're entering into. People will naturally assume you're close to God because of the vocation you're entering into. That'll either have to be really true for you or you'll become a good actor. He says, you'll know in your heart you're not doing what you should, but you'll preach a lesson. You'll do something godly and people will say you're a great man of God. And just when you were about to repent, you'll say, well, no need to. God's still using me. I'm still doing great things. Hey, no big deal. And, you know, in the end, that's true for every Christian. People look at us and they just assume we're really close to God and we either will have to do the slow work of drawing near to God or we'll just learn to pretend like we are. You might be a Pharisee if your heart is self-deceived, if you really don't know where you stand with the Lord. In fact, you might be a Pharisee if you think you've never been. If you hear a sermon like this one and you say, poor folks in Matthew 23, shame on them. They miss the Lord. And we don't know our own hearts. And we can't honestly say at least one of the seven woes at some point in our lives has been true about us. Jesus doesn't drop the mic in Matthew 23 and verse 36 and say, boom, I got you. Really, Jesus doesn't want to win against the Pharisees. He wants to save them because he died for them, too. In fact, when you read Matthew 23, I hope you don't see an angry preacher pounding on a pulpit. But you see the history of the Bible fulfilled in its last and final prophet, a man with tears in his eyes. Matthew 23, 37 through 39, as he says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that killed the prophets and stoned those that are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Don't you see? Jesus didn't want to embarrass the Pharisees. He wanted to embrace them. He wanted them to become like what they started out as, the separate ones, sanctified in his name. But it's not all bad news. Throughout Matthew 23, Jesus' favorite refrain for the Pharisees is, you're hypocrites and you're blind. And one day, Jesus blinded one of their best and brightest 
on the road to Damascus. He just knew he had always been doing what's right. And Jesus blinded him so that he could actually see this man who says, I thought I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. His life changed. He spent the rest of his life writing over half of the New Testament and teaching people to get over themselves and to get into Jesus Christ because Pharisees can be saved, too. In fact, Luke says in Acts 15 and verse five, there were many Pharisees in the church because Jesus welcomes them, too. Maybe you've been a Pharisee before. The good news is Jesus can redeem us. Maybe you say, I feel like one right now. I'm inconsistent. I'm living a double life. Jesus told us the things he did in Matthew 23, not for the purpose of self-condemnation. That's never what God wants, but always for self-examination so that the woes pronounced on the Pharisees here won't ultimately be pronounced on us. Maybe tonight somebody needs to obey the gospel. If you need to do that, we'd be happy to assist you in doing that. Maybe you have already. And as you examine your heart, you need the prayers of the Christians. We'd be happy to pray with you and to pray for you. We're going to be led in a song to encourage us. If we can help you, come now as together we stand and as we sing.